Today on the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. Your boss taps you on the shoulder and says, I need to see you in my office right now. The immediate response physiologically that happens is the pupils dilate. I need to see what's going on. I start to sweat a little bit. My heart rate elevates slightly. I'm going to shut off my digestion because I need to survive this meeting with my boss rather than worry about breaking down the food that's happening within, that's being broken down within my body, right? These fight or flight responses are very common, but these are required responses in order to be able to handle stressful scenarios. On the other side of this is the parasympathetic nervous system. This is what we generally know as the rest and digest system, but I've added one more very important word, and that is recover rest, digest, and recover system. And so this is the state we should be in about 80% of the time. This is the, I'm calm, I'm breathing gently, I'm using my diaphragm to breathe, important, that's going to come back later on. I'm very, like, I'm relaxed. My, I'm not sweating, my heart rate is down, my breath rate is down, my digestive system is working, my immune system is working. All of these things are functioning homeostatically in a great balance of homeostasis. Hello, hello, I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Jones. And today I talk with author and educator, Dr. Nawaz Habib, all about your uber important vagus nerve, what it does and how to fix it. Before we get started though, I wanna talk to you about an easy health habit that I use every single day. And that's AG1 by Athletic Greens. With one delicious scoop of AG1, I get 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to support my gut health, nervous system, immune system, energy, recovery, all the things. It also comes in super convenient travel packs, which is so nice because I'm often on the go. And I love that you can use it if you eat keto or paleo or vegan, dairy-free or gluten-free. And it contains less than a gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything. And to me, it tastes pretty good. I call it a small micro habit with big benefits. It's one thing I do every single day to take great care of myself and you can too. So right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash root cause. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash root cause to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. This podcast is by Rupa Health the best and easiest place for practitioners to order, track, and manage all your labs in one convenient location. Now, let's start the show. Dr. Navaz, welcome to the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. I am so excited to talk to you today. I'm honored to be here. It's been too long since we last spoke. It has been too long. And when we talked last, it was, of course, all about this subject, the vagus nerve, and it got amazing feedback. People were loving it. It was definitely a very, we did an Instagram live on it and people just sucked it up and they still ask me Vegas nerve questions or where they can find that or how far back was it so they can learn. And I'm glad to have you on here, the podcast, so we have a longer time frame to really kind of dive into this subject. Yes, it's a subject that requires a bit longer than a short <laughs> Instagram live. <laughs> 20 minutes or so. 
Well, before we jump in, for those who don't know who you are, why don't you tell everyone a bit about yourself, your background, what you stand for, what you do, et cetera. Certainly. So I am a doctor of chiropractic, and my story began probably a little before I was in chiropractic college. But while I was in chiropractic college, my health wasn't in the best place. I weighed 250 pounds. I had high blood pressure. I was borderline diabetic. This was in my 20s. And I really wasn't doing the best that I possibly could. I understood what I was learning, and I just wasn't able to implement it personally for myself. And so obviously, when I graduated from chiropractic college in 2010, I was blessed to be elected the valedictorian of my class, which was really nice. But I remember standing on the stage giving this speech, and I was not personifying the idea of being a health practitioner. And I just remember feeling a bit of that imposter syndrome, standing on the stage, talking to my class and uh, to all of the audience, the parents, everybody that was there, and just kind of feeling like I've learned this stuff, but have I really learned it enough to be able to implement? It took me a little while to kind of dig my teeth in and figure out what was really going on with my health, find the root cause of a lot of my health struggles. And that was prompted when I was lucky enough to meet a wonderful gentleman by the name of Sachin Patel, who introduced me to the idea of functional medicine. And our story is really interesting. I was literally standing at a desk in a chiropractic office that I never stand at. I was rarely there. It was one evening, the one moment that I was standing at that exact spot. He walked in, his wife had been in a small car accident and needed some chiropractic care. And he said that he was a chiropractor, but he didn't practice that anymore. I said, what is that? What do you do? Like, what else does a chiropractor do? And he said, I practice functional medicine. I said, what is that? And I immediately like got into a full conversation with him. I begged him to teach me what he had learned. He met me at Starbucks a couple mornings and we like went over this and he taught me the idea of understanding that health came from certain underlying causes and that we have to approach it from the perspective of health rather than trying to figure out what's wrong. What's the disease? What's the diagnosis? We need to figure out why. We just need to keep questioning why is this happening? And that gave me so many answers to what was happening with my personal health. I was able to address a lot of my root causes. I was able to eliminate a lot of the excess weight that I was carrying address the blood pressure, address the blood sugar, but not in the same way that the conventional system would allow. It was in a functional method that brought me to becoming significantly healthier, happier, and way more energetic than I ever thought possible. And on that entire journey, there were a few things that always stuck out to me, but the big one always was, how is everything connected? Why is it that the food that I eat is affecting my brain, is affecting my gut, is affecting my energy levels? Why are these things happening the way that they are? Why is everything so interconnected? And the one physical piece of that connecting point between every part of my body that stuck out to me was the vagus nerve. And that's really what brought me into this understanding that I needed to dig deeper into this and figure out what was really going on with it. And here we are. Now we get to pick your brain (laughs) for an hour about it. See, that's a fantastic story and quite a transformational story because you, as a doctor of chiropractic, you're considered in the field of health, right? But yet you didn't quite feel healthy until you learned, met Dr. Patel, and then and pivoted. So that is just, I just love stories like that. It's so fascinating to me because I think a lot of people listening can identify. They understand health, they get health, but they're not exactly feeling their most 
healthiest. And now we're going to tie it together with one key piece, which is the vagus nerve. And before we can talk about the vagus nerve, though, we have to start with the autonomic nervous system, which is a big word. And a lot of people don't know what that is. But basically, can you explain the autonomic nervous system? And then we'll slide into what the heck is the vagus nerve and how does that affect our health? Yeah. So the autonomic nervous system is very broad, but very important term to understand. And that is that the autonomic nervous system is essentially the brain's control of everything that's happening within our body that we don't consciously need to think about. What are the processes that are happening internally at the cellular, at the organ level that we don't need to consciously think about creating or completing at every or any given time? So the idea of digestion, I'm not consciously thinking about breaking down my lunch in my stomach and secreting stomach acid and then allowing the motion of the gut to make the food move through the small and large intestine. Not consciously thinking about beating my heart with every single beat, left atria, right atria. I'm not thinking about these things. They're unconsciously or subconsciously happening automatically within my body. And that's what the autonomic nervous system is essentially mediating. And the autonomic nervous system is broken down into two parts. There's a specific part that's meant to handle stressful scenarios, and there's a part that's meant to handle the recovery from those stressful scenarios. So the stressful scenario activation side is called the sympathetic nervous system. This is what we generally know as the fight or flight system, the fight or fight response that we have. So your boss taps you on the shoulder and says, I need to see you in my office right now. The immediate response physiologically that happens is the pupils dilate. I need to see what's going on. I start to sweat a little bit. My heart rate elevates slightly. I'm going to shut off my digestion because I need to survive this meeting with my boss rather than worry about breaking down the food that's happening within, that's being broken down within my body, right? These fight or flight responses are very common. It happens on our commute to work every morning, or it happens when our kids scream from upstairs. It's driving us crazy and it puts us into this fight or flight response. But these are required responses in order to be able to handle stressful scenarios. And we shouldn't necessarily be in that state all the time, but we need to have it we need to be capable of going into that state readily when needed. On the other side of this is the parasympathetic nervous system. This is what we generally know as the rest and digest system, but I've added one more very important word and that is recover. Rest, digest and recover system. And so this is the state we should be in about 80% of the time. This is the I'm calm, I'm breathing gently, I'm using my diaphragm to breathe, important that's going to come back later on. I'm very like I'm relaxed. My I'm not sweating. My heart rate is down. My breath rate is down. My digestive system is working. My immune system is working. All of these things are functioning homeostatically in a great balance of homeostasis. And that's what the parasympathetic nervous system does. And the majority of the parasympathetic nervous system is actually run through the vagus nerve. And that's why it was so important to me to dig into that particular side of the autonomic nervous system. And can you have a foot in either side? Can you be half sympathetic, half parasympathetic in your life? Or is it one or the other at any given moment? It's a continuum. Okay. It's definitely a continuum. And so we can slide back and forth on that continuum. And if you, we can learn how to shift between those states. And there are certain scenarios where both systems are on. And that's something like going through pregnancy and labor. 
right? Labor and delivery in itself, there's some really great research showing that the sympathetics are on fire and the parasympathetics are on fire. And both are just firing to keep you in a homeostatic balance while you're in a stressful scenario. So there can be opportunities or particular situations where that does occur. But on a day-to-day regular basis, because I'm pretty sure not everybody's giving birth on a daily basis, you're going to be generally on one side of this continuum or another. And ideally, we want to be further on that parasympathetic side more often than not. And I feel like lately, a lot of people can identify with the other side. They're in the stress, the fight or flight. Whether they fully realize it or not, listening today, they might go, you know what, that is me. I am more anxious or more stressed. Or if they're wearing wearables or trackables, their wearables or trackables might be telling them, you know what, you're in a more sensitive, flighty state than you were a year ago or so. And so this conversation is going to be really applicable to, well, me, all of us, <laughs> me included. So what is the vagus nerve? Give us the down and dirty of the vagus nerve. Is it an actual nerve? Where is it? What does it do? All the things. Yes, it is actually two nerves, funny enough. So we call it the vagus nerve, but we have two of them, one on each side of our body. And they come out from our brainstem. Our brainstem is a chunk of really important neural tissue that comes out from the central nervous system, from the brain that we know, just as it extends down into the spinal cord. It's kind of this middle point between the two. And within there are a bunch of nuclei. Nuclei are the housings of cell bodies that contain most of the connecting points of the nervous system. And so we've got so many different nuclei within the brainstem, and four of those nuclei connect to the vagus nerve. And it comes out from this brainstem area, kind of right behind the mastoid bone, right behind your earlobes for those who are interested, obviously a little bit more centered. And then it pops out through these four branches and connects to one another all together. And they actually course down through the neck. And they course right beside the carotid artery and the jugular vein. Literally within the carotid sheath, we have three tissues. We have the carotid artery, which brings blood to the brain. We have the jugular vein, which brings blood from the brain down back to the heart. And we have the vagus nerve. So you can just imagine how important this particular tissue is simply based on where it's located within our most vulnerable area, our neck that it's encased in even denser tissue to ensure that it doesn't get damaged. So really important to keep that in mind. It then courses down after sending a bunch of branches to the neck, the laryngeal muscles, the pharyngeal muscles, even a branch to the ear, to the oracle of the ear. Some skin is actually innervated by that. But it goes down into the thorax, our chest area, where it innervates the heart, innervates the lungs, continues on wraps around the esophagus all the way down, courses through the diaphragm, does not innervate the diaphragm, but the diaphragm will come in very important. I've alluded to that twice now. So (laughs) really important. Pay attention. It's important. (laughs) And we're going to go down into the abdomen where it then attaches to virtually every single organ within our entire abdomen, stomach, small intestine, large intestine, pancreas, spleen, kidneys, you name it. Everything is connected through the vagus nerve. And what does the vagus nerve do? So in addition to mediating that parasympathetic nervous system, it basically runs the signals that put us into that rest, digest, and recover state. It's actually going to allow for all of the information going from the brain, going down to the organs to put us into that parasympathetic state. But that's only about 15% of the information on the nerve entirely. It's quite an important system, but it's very minimal in, in the function that happens there. 
about 80% of the information on the vagus nerve is actually sending signals from all of those organs, from the gut, from the heart, from the lungs, from the spleen, up to the brain. So it's sending these signals up almost like a thermostat. This is physically what makes up that gut-brain axis in addition to all of the other organs that are present and connected via the vagus nerve. And so it's really a heavily connected area. So about 80% is afferent information, meaning it's coming from the organs up to the brainstem and then sending signals through brainstem connections into the rest of the central nervous system, the brain as we know it. About 15% is coming down as parasympathetic information. That's the rest and digest and recover, the peristaltic motion of your digestive system, the reduction of your heart rate, the slowing of the breath rate, all of those types of things. So this is what you were saying in the beginning. I don't mean to cut you off, but like when you were saying, I was curious, why are the foods that I'm eating affecting my brain function, my brain, brain fog, mood, et cetera? It's through this communication superhighway. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and you put it in the exact right terms. It is <laughs> that gut brain connection. It is that connecting superhighway of information between our known first brain and our enteric nervous system, which is the connections of the nerves within our gut. And so this is how our gut and our brain actually speak to one another is through the vagus nerve. And that's why it's so important to fully understand that system and why everything works holistically is actually through that parasympathetic nervous system and the vagus nerve in particular. And we talk all the time about system and we mean it literally. The body is a system, nothing works in a silo. And it's we see it all the time in medicine where somebody says, my stomach hurts or I have diarrhea or constipation. or So they go to a gastroenterologist. And then on the flip side, they're like, but I'm also depressed or I have brain fog or I'm noticing my short-term memory is not as great as it used to be. And so then they go see a neurologist when that's very compartmentalized and the systems are actively talking to each other every second of every day. They do not take a vacation. A fun little anecdote linked directly to what you just said. There was a a research study that was done on a vagus nerve stimulation device. We'll get into that later. But this research study was essentially being done on patients with migraine. And there was a gastroenterologist that came into the office and said, I know the vagus nerve is involved in my patients and from issues, but I don't know how many of them are going through this. He was told to go through his patient list. He's a GI doctor. So he's focused only on gut function, only on gut issues. He was told to go through his patient list and correlate it to the neurologist who's three floors above him in the medical building that he works in. And 80% of those patients that were seeing him for gut issues were going to the neurologist upstairs to do support for their headaches. It was a crazy, crazy correlation that was occurring. These comorbidities are so commonly linked, people don't realize. So speaking of which, somebody's listening today and they're like, well, I don't know that I, I don't know if I have gut issues and I don't really have headaches. What are other symptoms? that you would think, you know what, this has a vagus nerve component. What should we be looking for? So the key thing, the key word here is inflammation. If you have in any system or any part of your body excess inflammation that is uncontrolled, the vagus nerve is involved. And it has to do with the fact that the system that is controlled through the vagus nerve, in addition to the parasympathetics, is called the cholinergic anti-inflammatory pathway. And what this is, is essentially a reflex to control inflammation. So when we're in a sympathetic state, inflammation is going to run rampant. It's going to turn on. We're going to go into what's called an inflammatory state where our immune system is going to activate immune system cells to kill off anything that they deem should not be present. 
On the flip side, when we turn on and we're in that sympathetic state, we need to be able to turn it off. So this, the sympathetic side is like the accelerator in the car, pushing the gas, pushing the accelerator is going to make the car go. But if the car is going and not controlled, it could cause a lot of damage. It could hurt a lot of people. A lot of bad things could happen. We need to have brakes to ensure that that car doesn't veer off and go crazy. And the brakes are that parasympathetic nervous system and the in control of the inflammation that occurs during that sympathetic activation. So essentially, if there is any level of inflammation within your body, if you're dealing with an autoimmune condition, if you're dealing with some sort of gut dysfunction, if you're dealing with headaches or persistent body aches and pains, those inflammatory triggers, those inflammatory signs are telling you that you're persistently in that sympathetic in inflammatory state. And what we need to do is shift you into that parasympathetic anti-inflammatory state where the inflammation is controlled. The brakes are being pushed on that car. So speaking of brakes, so we hear that you and I hear this word a lot or use this word a lot, vagal tone. So can you explain what vagal tone is? And the most simple way to kind of explain it, is there enough brake fluid in your brake lines? I love that. Essentially, Do you need to push the brakes really hard in order to slow the car down? Or is it still functioning? How sensitive is the vagus nerve to be able to shift you into that parasympathetic state or not, right? So what we have in, in our ability as humans is we are able to actually turn on the certain brain connections. It's a whole system called neuroplasticity. And what this means is neurons that fire together are built to wire together. And if we are chronically putting ourselves through an environment or a challenge that's pushing us into the sympathetic nervous system, we're turning on that sympathetic nervous system through neuroplasticity. If we start to train ourselves to shut it down, to put on the brakes, to slow down and take a break and be able to deep breathe and activate certain exercises that are going to push us into that parasympathetic state, then we tone the vagus nerve. We can strengthen the vagus nerve using neuroplasticity. So vagal tone, simply put, is how strong is the vagus nerve? Are you able to shift to that side easily or not? Is there enough brake fluid in the brake line? And we, for long-term, even short-term health, we want that. We want basically a toned vagus nerve. We want brake fluid in our brakes of our vagus nerve, especially for everyone listening who's like, oh, that's me. I have inflammation is my thing. Autoimmune is my thing. Headaches is my thing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. Right. Okay. Can you test the vagus nerve? Is there like a blood test? or blood <laughs> What can we do? Or is it predominantly sort of symptom-based for testing? I'm a huge fan of functional lab testing, but there isn't a single functional lab test that can tell us in particular if vagus tone is working or if vagal tone is good. The way to test for vagal tone, more often than not, the best single test is heart rate variability, HRV. And that is a tone test for your cardiac branch of the vagus nerve. But it's very rare that you would be in high vagal tone on, at the heart level and not anywhere else in the body. So it's a pretty good overall kind of test to see if you are capable of getting into that vagus nerve state and how strong it is and how toned it is. So what heart rate variability is, is it's different from heart rate entirely. Heart rate is the number of beats per minute. This is an important number, and it does have a bit of say as to where you're at. So generally, what we're looking at in a resting heart rate in an average person, we should see a number between 50 and 70 on average. This is somebody who's semi-active, not a crazy athlete, not somebody who's significantly unhealthy, sitting on the couch all the time. You're looking for that 50 to 70 number being a good spot. 60 is a, a pretty decent number to be at. 
If you didn't have vagus nerve inputs to the heart, your heart rate would naturally be at about 100. So this is a sign that we're able to bring it down into this good number around 50 to 70. That's a sign that the vagus nerve is working somewhat, which is a really important number. When we work out, you'll notice when you're measuring on a wearable device or whatnot, you get your heart rate up to 120, 130, 140. That's your sympathetic nervous system turning on. That's saying, hey, this we need to stress ourselves out. This is a hermetic response. It's a good thing to do, but we only want to do it in a controlled environment from time to time and not have to deal with it too often. We want to be able to rebound and come back to that 60 number, 50 to 70 number, as quickly as we possibly can. That's a sign of resilience. What heart rate variability is, it's a measurement of the number of milliseconds between beats of the heart summed up and averaged over a period of time. So it's heart rate on steroids is the best way to kind of put it. And looking at the stats behind your heart rate to the nth degree. There's multiple different ways to measure it out or calculate it out. You don't need to get into the specifics, high frequency, low frequency, RMS, SD, whatever. We don't need to get into the whole, that side of things. When you're measuring heart rate variability, the simplest way to put this is the higher the number, the better your vagal tone. The lower the number, the less strong your vagal tone. We want to not have a rhythmic heart rate. It should not be a metronome. It should be moving a little faster, a little slower. That's a sign that we're going into sympathetic and pulling out of sympathetic back to the parasympathetic and that our resilience of going back and forth is best and that it's working really well. So the vagal tone number that you're looking for is with regards to heart rate variability, anything over kind of 50, 60, 70, you're getting pretty healthy. That's milliseconds. Anything lower than 30, you're starting to really worry that you're in a very low parasympathetic tone side of things, that it's just not strong enough and we really need to do some work to support the parasympathetic nervous system. I wear a wearable and I have for years. There are several out there. Some people have watches, bands, rings. There's all sorts of options. So my wearable, I mean, wearables are all about you. Even the data is about you and only you. I'm only getting info on me, competing with me, so to speak. But man... When I travel, if I have a glass of wine, if I'm stressed out, my wearable data is very yells. I'll just say that my my HRV plummets down below 20 sometimes. I mean, it's really obvious on if you're tracking at all what your stress response is. If you've been sick, all these things, you get this immediate feedback. And when you know this information, like I do and like you do, I did it to myself. And then we have to work to recover. We have to work to recover. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm a huge fan of wearables because what's better than instant feedback, instant data as to how you are doing from a human function perspective, right? So we finally come to this point in humanity that technology can be used to help indicate how well you're going to be able to function that day or how much you should push yourself that particular day. Athletes use HRV pretty consistently and they have for a long time. So they'll wake up in the morning before wearables were kind of overnight devices. They would put their finger in a HRV heart rate monitor kind of tool. And based on the number that came up, the higher the number, the harder they would push in their training that day. Lower the number, time for recovery. I need to get my HRV up so that I'm able to jump in and actually work really hard tomorrow. And today is going to be a rest and recover day. So you can take that data and actually do something really positive with it. That's what HRV really does. There are other ways to kind of test with like bowel transit time or your breath rate, but nothing is as strong and nothing is as consistent as the HRV to tell you, are you doing things well and what needs to be supported? How do you need to 
spend today because it this is the best thing about it is it's variable and it's something that you can physically change and so it's not oh no my hrv is 20 no it's like you're at 20 but you can get up to 60 it's possible and that's a really great thing that you can do it's very empowering it's extremely empowering I mean, even the other night i went to bed late i had eaten late nothing crazy just my normal dinner right eaten late went to bed late and when i woke up the next and didn't sleep that great and when i woke up the next day my app attached to my wearable, my HRV had gone way down. And my app literally said to me, what did you do? Take it easy today. And I was like, okay, then. <laughs> I have a feeling we have the same. I guess so. Same wearable, because I'll get the same <laughs> message once in a while. <laughs> yes, it's very motivational in both directions. So when I'm doing really well, it's like, way to go. Yeah, exactly. Nice job. <laughs> thanks, app. But really, thanks me. All right. So now we get into the gold information. How do you fix it? <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. What do you do? It is the age-old question, and this is where we can really marry old-world wisdom with new-world tech and be able to kind of gauge where we're truly at. This is where we bring in kind of that fun stuff. And so the exercises that we can use to help support and really promote positive shifts in our vagal tone can be implemented. And I like to do easy ones. I like to do ones that are simple and easy to kind of add on to something that you're already doing. So let's go through kind of three easy ones right off the bat. Number one, gargling and gargling aggressively. Okay. So what I'll have a lot of my patients do is I'll have them keep a glass by their sink where they brush their teeth. And every morning and every night when they brush their teeth, which hopefully they're all doing every day already, we can simply add on a couple of minutes of aggressive gargling where we can then stimulate the laryngeal branches of the vagus nerve, okay? Laryngeal and pharyngeal. So what I'll have them do is take their cup, fill it up with some water, cold, warm, whatever, doesn't matter. You get to choose, you can throw a little salt in there. It helps to break up some of the mucus and the stuff at the back of your throat as well. And what you're going to do is take a sip and you're going to hold it in the back of your throat and gargle as hard as you physically can. And the idea is that you're going to keep your neck up. If Don't do this if you've had like a concussion or whiplash. Do things that your body can kind of handle in those scenarios. But if you can gargle as hard as you can, what you're doing is you're stimulating the laryngeal and pharyngeal branches of the vagus nerve. You're essentially keeping tonicity within the muscles of the airway, ensuring that the water doesn't go into the lungs, ensuring that air comes out of the lungs, and you're bubbling up and you're actually creating vocalization while you're gargling as well. So you're essentially turning on three different areas of vagus nerve function. 5% or 4% of the information on vagus nerve goes to those muscles. And so we can actually physically turn on those muscles and turn on the vagus nerve by gargling. If you can hold that gargle on the exhale for anywhere between 10 and 30 seconds, it's a good sign. And to know that it's working and to know that you're doing it well, if you start to tear from your eyes, that's the goal. Okay. Aggressive. You're not kidding. I'm not kidding. And this is particularly effective for those people that are dealing with digestive dysfunction. This is one of those key things. If you do this consistently, it's going to have a very positive compound effect on your digestive system because it's really going to work on those pharyngeal and laryngeal branches, which are the initial points of the digestive system, right? The mouth is where the digestive system really starts. So if we can have a really positive effect here, it'll actually start to help support things like gastroparesis, IBS, IBD. It'll be really supportive for those patients, especially. Okay, gargling, number one. Number one. Number two is deep breathing. Too many of us breathe really, really poorly and generally incorrectly. So a really quick test that I'll have people do is put one hand on their chest 
and put one hand on their belly. And I'll have them take a deep breath. And I'll have them see as they're taking those deep breaths, which hand is moving. Is it the hand that's on their chest? Is it expanding and going forward? Or is it the hand that's on their belly? I'll even do this with my five-year-old. I've already started to notice challenges here. And what we're seeing more often than not is we're breathing with our chest. Most people, when they're breathing with their chest, they're not using their diaphragm. Keyword again here, diaphragm is so important. It's the muscle that separates the thorax, so the chest area from the abdomen, but it also is really important in actually creating motion, particularly within the lungs. So when we breathe using our diaphragm, what's happening is our diaphragm is kind of expanding downwards, flexing, and it's creating a vacuum above. That vacuum above causes the lungs to fill up with air, okay? When we're not using our diaphragm effectively to breathe, we're using our accessory breathing muscles. These are the intercostal muscles. These are the traps. These are the muscles of our upper back. This is why so many people, in addition to our horrendous posture sitting in front of a laptop or on our phones for six hours a day, we are affecting those muscles because they're being used to do something that they're only supposed to be supporting or supplementing, right? So many people that have these tense upper back muscles, you likely are breathing incorrectly and we want to do something about that. So the diaphragm is important there. The other thing that the diaphragm does is when it flexes down, it actually creates like a massaging effect on the organs below, the organs in the abdomen. It's actually going to create physical motion patterns in the stomach, the small intestine, the large intestine. So it's going to promote positive digestive system function. If you're breathing with your chest, you're not doing that effectively. You're in a diaphragmatic breath or in a non-diaphragmatic breathing state. You're not taking a deep enough breath. You're actually signaling to your brain that you're under stress, right? What happens when your boss comes in and taps you on the shoulder? The first thing that happens is short, shallow breath. Oh my God, I'm so stressed. Shoulders rise. I'm breathing with my chest muscles. Oh my gosh, right? If we do that consistently, you can imagine this is a compounding effect turning us on to just our sympathetic nervous system. It's essentially saying you are stressed and your breath is the way that you're going to create this shift. So the breath really is important. So all I have them do is that same thing, hand on the chest, hand on the belly, and focus on expanding the balloon that's in their belly with every breath. Do you ever have them hands on their ribs? I had a trainer. Ribs can be effective as well, especially lower ribs. Yeah, lower. Put your hand on your lower ribs. Exactly. On the sides. And that's the same idea because that's where the diaphragm connects. So if we have the ribs expanding at the bottom there, you can absolutely do that. The reason he had said that was in his experience, he works with a lot of athletes. He's like, we can, as humans, we just force it. He's like, I would tell the athletes, put your hand on your belly. They just force a bunch of air down there. So he's like, okay. (laughs) lower ribs get your rib sticks go out yeah absolutely okay what's really awesome is there's all of these practices out there like pilates and yoga and a lot of these other breath work practices are focused on breathing through stressed or strained postures so once you start to learn that okay on a day-to-day basis i've started to breathe with my diaphragm but if you really want to train yourself to be able to breathe effectively in a stressed circumstance The best way to do that is to stress yourself purposefully. So the same way that we, let's say I'm doing squats, for example, I'm going to put 100 pounds on my back to strengthen my squat and get stronger and then 120 and 150 and get stronger with that. The same idea is can be implemented with breathing. So with regards to our breath, not only do we then want to do just our diaphragmatic breathing with our hand on our belly, hand on our chest, but do it under stressful circumstances. So holding a yoga posture for two minutes or 
while you're out exercising, riding your bike and as vigorously as you can and focus on your breath coming through your nose and diaphragmatic breathing while you're riding down the road or something like that, right? So you want to do it under stressful circumstances because then when you are stressed in an uncontrolled circumstance, you can bring yourself back to parasympathetic pretty easily. You've already trained yourself to be able to do that. So it's a cool little tool, but the breath really is the key, most important kind of tool that we have that we can consciously use to control that autonomic nervous system and which state we're in along that continuum. Okay. So number one is aggressive gargling. Number two is diaphragmatic breathing. Number three. This is where a lot of people say, okay, I don't want to do this stuff anymore, but it's really, (laughs) really awesome. And this is cryotherapy. This is the cold exposure. This is either this is built on the idea of controlling your breath, but going to the nth degree. Okay. And so the simplest way to include this within your day-to-day routine is when you're taking a shower at the end of your shower for the last 30 seconds, turn the temperature as cold as you possibly can and let it hit you in a cold spot. What's going to immediately happen is you're going to have this visceral reaction. You're going to breathe. You're going to tighten up and everything's going to get really, really tight. And you're going to say, why am I doing this? And then you have to breathe through it and you have to do it diaphragmatically. You're training yourself to be able to breathe through those stressful circumstances and say, it's not that bad. It's just cold water. I can do this. You graduate that up and you get into a nice plunge, a cold plunge. Then you go up and you do that for two minutes and three minutes and four minutes and five minutes. There's a graduation that you can do. The positive effects of cryotherapy are undisputed. The effects on dopamine, the effects on serotonin, the effects on energy, the effects on your parasympathetic nervous system and HRV afterwards are profound. If this is something that you're really interested in doing, cryotherapy is one of the best ways to elevate your HRV in the long term. So I, as people may or may not know, I love a cold shower. Did cold showers all last year, all through, actually all through the pandemic, just stress myself in a good way that what we call hormetic stress, focus on breathing. And I had a lot of people that sort of did it with me on social media. They're like, all right, I'm gonna try this too. And so we I would report back and so many people reported back that it helped their stress response. It helped their energy. It, it even helped their skin. They felt like their skin was glowing and clear and they slept better. They had just, everything seemed to be better just getting a little bit of cold shower exposure. Obviously some people have moved on into cold plunges or the cryotherapy machines, you know, that you stand in, in the cryo or the cold air, which I actually did two weeks ago. I did a three minute cryo session two weeks ago. And it always just feels, I just love it. I think it feels amazing. You come out just feeling completely accomplished. It's one of the best feelings ever. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So we have aggressive gargling, easy to do twice a day, diaphragmatic breathing. How often do you encourage people to check in on that? As often as possible is the real answer. But in practice, if you can do that three to four times a day, first thing in the morning, last thing at night, and a couple times in the middle of the day, it's going to be really effective and helpful. And do those for two to three minutes. I'm not asking for a couple hours of this. Like Just a couple minutes of conscious deep breathing will help to just slow everything down and, and essentially put the brakes on all the stressors that are happening through the day. Okay. And then number three is cryotherapy, whether that's finishing your shower in cold water, cold plunges if you're there, if you're in an area that you can, cold lakes, cold streams, cold oceans, things like that, or full on the cryo chamber is an option. What about other things that we read about, like humming or singing or chanting? Yeah, those are actually really great little exercises that you can do because they're also stimulating to those laryngeal branches of the vagus nerve. The reason we have tone within our voice, the reason I can go from really, really low to really, really high 
is because I have good signaling to the laryngeal branches of my vagus nerve. And those are sending signals to the muscles that control the vocal cords. So I can actually go uh, tension extra and go really, really high, or I can let it relax and go really, really low. And that's because of vagus tone. So chanting, singing, humming, phenomenal. And I love doing this. Even humming is a great one for kids. We often, it's dinner time, they've been running around outside or whatever, they're kind of going crazy and everybody's ramped up, they're buzzing, literally. And so I'll actually do this with my daughter and I'll say, okay, it's time for us to calm down. Let's do a minute of humming before we get into our meal. And everybody calms down because as you hum, you're exhaling, you're breathing out, and it's a longer term hum. So you're getting the laryngeal activation of the vagus nerve. You're getting a long exhale that's drawn out, which means you're slowing your breath rate. You're getting into that parasympathetic diaphragmatic breathing state. And you're going to take a deep breath in and you're going to go, Hmm. And you're going to calm that down. This is actually what the idea of even Om is built on, right? When we sit in meditation or the traditional Hindu kind of version of this is through uh, Om, right? So the idea here is you're stimulating the vagus nerve. You're turning on a frequency that calms the body down and turns on the vagus nerve. What's really cool about this, and it's been studied now a lot, is when you do that humming, is it's actually going to calm everything down and send better blood flow to your prefrontal cortex. It physically makes you smarter to calm everything down and go into that parasympathetic nervous system. Humming is probably my most favorite. The the aggressive gargling, I learned from you, and then I was rear-ended just gently last year, and my chiropractor said, hey, as we're working on you in the shower every day, I want you to gargle for a minute and to help with your vagus tone, which is fine, but I, I like humming and singing better. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone has their preference. Is that right? Everyone has their preference. That's why I came up with as many as I can in the book. <laughs> What's your favorite? You actually mentioned a device earlier and I want to touch on that as well. Yeah, we'll definitely get into that. My favorite personal thing is cold, cold exposure. I love it. And pretty much every single shower unless I'm not feeling so hot by turning on the cold water. And the winter time can be a little tough here in Toronto. But it is my favorite, absolutely. And and there's like, it doesn't need to be in water cold exposure, right? So you live in the Northwest, I believe. So mm-hmm. yep. you get a real winter the same way that I do here in Toronto. And so when you're going outside for five minutes, when it's freezing cold outside, that'll have a very similar effect because you're focusing on your breathing while you're in an, immersed in a cold state. So for me, it's cold exposure is absolutely my favorite. And yeah, the new thing that's kind of coming up that's really, really interesting and has some really positive research behind it is electrical stimulation of the vagus nerve. And so there are some really positive devices that are being developed recently that are being shown to have really positive effects in from disease states, out of disease states. And I had mentioned kind of migraines. So there's a few different devices. There's devices that can be used for auricular stimulation. If you remember, 1% of the information on the vagus nerve actually goes from the skin of the ear. It's a sensory information. So acupuncture is a really great way to stimulate. And it's something that's been around, obviously. Traditional Chinese medicine has been here for thousands of years. So they've known this for a long time. But electrical stimulation, there's certain devices you can put directly on the oracle of the ear to get an electrical stimulation going. And that has been shown to elevate HRV and have positive effect in certain conditions. But more recently, there's a device that's being used almost like a taser that you can put right on your neck, but it's a different wave pattern. So it doesn't affect the muscles and the nerve endings that are in that area. 
but you put it right on where you feel your pulse. If you remember anatomically, the vagus nerve is directly adjacent to the carotid artery. And so when you feel your pulse in your neck, that's you feeling your carotid artery. Your vagus nerve is right there as well. And so this electrical device, you simply put along the uh, right in front of the SCM muscle where you find your pulse, you put it there, and for two minutes it'll stimulate, and you can turn on the, or you can elevate the intensity of the stimulation. And there's some really positive effects. I've started implementing this with a few of my patients, and over 12 weeks, the effects are pretty phenomenal. We're seeing elevated HRV levels. We're seeing migraines essentially disappear in both an acute stage and as a preventative tool as well. This is off of like four to six stimulations of two minutes each per day, which is pretty phenomenal. And we're seeing uh, cluster headaches essentially gone. Depression and anxiety are positively affected. Digestive system function is positively affected. Inflammation RA, like some of these really cool things that are being studied right now, we're having some amazing effects on. So electrical stimulation of the vagus nerve, it's been around for a long time. It's actually been discovered by like 20 years ago, but we're just now getting it into our hands and actually being able to use this really effectively. We're going to be talking a lot more about this in the future for sure. I was going to say, is there, do you have a site or somewhere that people who are feeling that by we get to the end of this podcast, like that's me, I would love something like this. Yeah. So you would have to get it through a healthcare practitioner, but the device that I'm talking about is called GammaCore. GammaCore. G-A-M-M-A-C-O-R-E, GammaCore. You can look it up online and there's a ton of awesome info. The research is phenomenal. It's been done at a lot of really high level institutions and there's a ton of very positive stuff in the pipeline. So it's looking really good. That's exciting because as we've basically said since the beginning that a lot of this comes back to the vagus nerve. So how incredible if you can really affect headaches, digestion, mood, autoimmune, inflammation, stress response, all the things using something like that while the breathing, the aggressive gargling, right? The humming, the singing, <laughs> the cold exposure. We're all about the compounding effect, right? We want to put everything together and really build up a positive set of exercises on compound effect in addition to in those situations where it's necessary, adding electrotherapy to support this electromodulation or neuromodulation is what it's known as to help support vagus nerve function when it's really depleted. I love that. Okay. Last question though. Is there anything that you've seen online, anything that you've sometimes in social media, you're like, that's not true. That doesn't affect the vagus nerve. Is there anything we need to debunk before we wrap up? Yeah, there's been a few things that I've kind of come across. Most of my research is spent on actual research articles that are coming out of legitimate institutions. But you'll often hear like this supplement or that, this like, I don't know, nutraceutical that comes across. Who knows? We don't have research to really show that there is a specific effect of a supplement or a nutraceutical on the vagus nerve. I'd love to say that, yeah, taking choline is going to support your vagus nerve function, but it hasn't been studied, so we can't say for sure at this point. And I'd rather save my money than go out and risk something else with that. So plus, gargling is free. Exactly, breathing is free, right? Like your little cold, your cold shower at the end, thirty seconds of cold, like that's free. You're in the shower anyway, so and it's researched. Yes, that's exactly. It's in the literature, so go for it. Okay. Oh my gosh. Ah. Oh, okay. Well, this is the Root Cause Medicine podcast. We have been talking about the parasympathetic and sympathetic response as it leads to the vagus nerve, what are the top two or three things you want to just leave everybody with as we wrap this up? The number one for sure is focus on your breathing. A lot of this root cause 
information that a lot of people forget about is that breath, right? Is we're not breathing well, and that's not allowing us to be in that parasympathetic state. Linked to that, and something that we didn't really discuss, but is quality of your sleep. And we breathe throughout our entire sleep time, and we're not conscious during that time. So if there's a way to improve your breath during sleep, it's huge. Too many people are suffering with snoring and sleep apnea, and that's affecting their vagus nerve function through the night. And if you're getting six, seven, eight, nine hours of sleep every night where you're breathing incorrectly, you're putting yourself into a stressed sleep state. And sleep is so, so important. And that's really where the vagus nerve does its recovery work is while you're sleeping. So giving it the opportunity to do so is really good. Mouth taping is one of my favorite tools to help support that because you don't want to be breathing through your mouth. You want to ideally be breathing through your nose while you're sleeping or at any point, really. And so when you're sleeping, if you're snoring, you're not really allowing that to occur. So this is one of the other things is really focus on breathing and sleep quality. That's going to affect a lot of what's going on and a lot of what you need to do. And then if you find another exercise or another tool that resonates with you, whether it's cold showers or gargling or humming or singing in the shower or singing along to your favorite artist while you're on your commute to work, doing something like that is actually going to be really positive because it's going to help you shift to that parasympathetic nervous system and turn on your vagus nerve. You know, everyone listening to this right now is sitting up straighter because they're trying not to use their their upper back muscles to breathe and they've got their hand on their chest and their tummy or they've got them on their ribs. They felt their pulse. It's been an interactive a podcast, which is my favorite. So people love when they can check in with themselves and it's quite actionable. That's what we're all about. I love it. Is the actionable. So Dr. Navaz, this has been amazing. Tell everyone where they can find you. Tell them where they can about your book, the title of your book, where they can find your book, all the things. Absolutely. The book is called Activate Your Vagus Nerve. It's available everywhere, independent bookstores, Amazon, you name it. And you can check me out in the practice at healthupgraded.com. Healthupgraded.com. Well, thank you so much again. You are a wealth of information. I hope everybody aggressively gargles after this and does their diaphragmatic breathing. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) 